This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, Frank Lee, it's over! have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman good evening everyone and welcome to another episode of the benny and the bats podcast covering boston red sox baseball the 165th edition of the podcast i might add for everyone staying up late tonight on facebook live normally we do this on periscope for the twitter uh crowd but switching it up tonight you guys can uh, find the podcast uh, after this recording on Spotify, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM, literally everywhere. And the link to our Apple podcast feeds for all you iPhones people is right at the top of this video window. You can click that. All of our episodes can be found right there. Red Sox just wrapped up. A three-game set against the Los Angeles Angels, taking two out of the three games. They are now a stubborn five games back of the second wild-card spot. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Clark. And coming off the bench tonight uh, for Jeremy, who's in Hurricane Alley right now in South Florida, is Charlie Smith. How are you guys? Doing well, thank you. Doing great. Thank you so much for having me back on. Good to have you guys. And uh, we'll be getting into the uh, Angel series here up front, but we will be touching on the wild card race. We'll talk about the st- <laughs> Tyler Skaggs uh, autopsy findings, and uh, we'll wrap it up with the uh, twin series. But. Uh, Kind of an interesting Angel series. Um, You had Bradley, Vasquez, Leon, Moreland, Hernandez, and Sam Travis combining for 0 for 36, but uh, Red Sox take two out of three, essentially using almost an opener in every game because you had Avoldi going four innings. So he he did give you a little bit of length. And then you had uh, Josh Taylor opening game two, and then Price uh, only gave a couple of innings today because they're trying to ease him back in after being on the DL for three or four weeks. So um, I know Matt and I thought we'd probably just take one out of uh, three, but they uh, managed to take two. Probably could have taken three. We'll get into why that didn't happen, but uh, Matt... Go ahead with your uh, hero for the series. Yeah, uh, my hero is J.D. Martinez. Uh, he remained hot. He's hitting 500 uh, for this series. He hit 500. Uh, four runs scored, two home runs, six RBIs. Um, I mean, he, offensively, he's just on a tear right now, which uh, 
you know, we talked about before may uh, may help his his cause for getting more money in the off season. So, um, but yeah, I'll talk in a little bit why I think that maybe that isn't quite the case. Uh, that I could make a case the other way as well. So, uh, JD's my guy. Uh, he's, he he's kind of put him on his back offensively and just carried these guys uh, over the last month. I think he's hitting almost 400, 12 RBIs. Ton of our, uh, I'm sorry, twelve home runs, ton of RBIs. Um, he's just tearing it up. Uh, Charlie, from an offensive standpoint, what do you uh, think of what you've seen from JD in this series and beyond? Uh, really, really nice to see JD do what he did in the series. He had a couple of homers, as uh, you know, as I just mentioned, he had um, sitting like five hundred, and you've seen everything slowly start to come up because start of the month he was hitting well under not not well under 300 but under 300 now he's at what 320 so he's very quickly crushing it and even for the month i feel like he's hitting like 500 every single every other game it's it's probably like an average of a home run he doesn't hit a home run for a couple days but then he'll have a two spot then nothing for a couple days then he had that crazy day in san diego so two homers and seven rbi so it's it's great to see what he's able to do. Um, it was basically JD and uh, JD endeavors for a long time, just really doing a lot of work. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's on pace to probably exceed forty home runs, and his numbers are looking very stout. And it's too bad, you know, in a way that he kind of scuffled a little bit earlier on and. He didn't scuffle that bad, but but did for his own standards. And now he's just he's been basically the top productive player, you know, the last few weeks or so. Devers has cooled down. Was just two out of fifteen this series. Uh, he had a quiet uh, series coming into this as well, but huge numbers from JD and. I just, not much I can really add beyond what you guys have said. I don't know if you touched on, he did have four walks as well. So he was just almost impossible to, uh, you know, to not let on base. Yeah, he's uh, he's just locked in right now. I mean, there, there was a point, I think we talked on previous podcasts, uh, you know, it looked like he was flailing a little bit at some of the breaking balls outside. That's not the case now, and and uh, just to update, you know, and get specific numbers. Uh, I talked the last month. He's got twenty five runs scored, ten home runs, twenty nine RBIs, and is hitting four oh six over the last month. Uh, I mean, the guy is just on an unbelievable tear. Um, I, I don't know that you can get much hotter than that. I mean, to hit four oh six over a, a thirty day span is is incredible. Absolutely. Charlie, uh, who's your hero for the series? Uh, my hero was uh, established after game one where we had the, the Mookie Betts beginning and the end. Uh, after what he was able to do in the first game of the series, I, I felt like that was going to be, you know, I always pick a hero and a zero after every series just just for fun. And uh, after game one, there was just no question. I mean, back-to-back games with multi-hit, not two hits, three hits, which he hadn't done all month. 
and I had to look back because I was like, oh, you know, when was it? When was the last time he had three hits in a game? Literally end of July. But after that, it's been um, a, a little bit lukewarm. You know, like he had a crazy uh, month of July as far as getting on base and, um, you know, hitting almost 400. And this, this month, a little bit cooler. Um but nice to see a uh, really nice series hit just under 500 for the series had seven total hits um, went seven for 15 but a couple bombs is just destroying anything as far as like scoring runs I mean he averages a run a game it's ridiculous um, but he's doing great work and I felt like he, he was gonna be my hero after game one Matt. Yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers this year, and, and it seems like he's had an off year, but honestly, uh, he's poised to eclipse. He only needs seven runs uh, scored uh, the entire month of September to um, match what he did last year. Um, you know, he's nine home runs away from last year's total. He's 10 RBIs away from last year's total. The only big differences are the stolen bases. He's got half of a uh, half the stolen bases he had last year. Um, he's 16 off of last year's pace, and uh, the batting average is about uh, there's almost a 70 point difference in batting average. So, but the other numbers are are pretty damn good. Uh, you're not going to get much better than that. So to see he and uh, uh, J.D. Martinez, both of them, uh, really kind of coming around towards the end of the season um, and, and matching or, or coming close to numbers that were incredible last year between the two of them, uh, it's a good sign for the Red Sox. Like I said, you know, if, if you can get that and Devers and Bogarts can continue on the paces they're on, that is uh, one deadly lineup. If they do make it to the uh, postseason, even though their pitching has a ton of question marks, that offense is as deadly as any uh, offense in baseball. Mookie is a terrible uh, postseason player, though. <laughs> that can't last forever, you wouldn't think. But 217 average with one home run and three RBIs in 20-plus games. So uh, we're going to need him to be his, you know, regular season Mookie. If we get there, if we get there, uh, you know, but, uh, he, he's doing everything, you know, you want to see from him and like Martinez, like you said, reverted basically completely back to his 2018 form, you know, since the start of August and, I mean, he's. Do you think 150 runs is possible if if September's a big month for the Red Sox? I think it's possible when you when you look at uh, Betts if he can continue to do what he's doing. I mean, you look at um, the months and um, what he was able to do. If you look at it, April 18, uh, May 23, June 21. July was stupid. It was 33 runs scored, and then just last month, 23 again. So he's he's averaging. If he can, yeah, I definitely think so. I think so. You get another 25 this month and a couple in, you know, first couple days in October. Yeah, it's it could definitely happen. Definitely. And that's an insane number. I mean, 150 runs scored is crazy. Uh, he's also going to need Devers to heat back up and, and Bogarts and, and JD to stay hot. Um, 
that happens, though. I mean, man, those top four are just – it's incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen four players have those kind of numbers in one season. It's – I mean, and when you really break them down, they're having an insane offensive season. The top three overall in Major League Baseball right now, Betts still leading the pack at 123. Uh, Devers uh, in second, 113. So he's 10 runs under uh, Mookie. So two Red Sox players, one and two. And then you have Ronald Acuna Jr. uh, with the Braves coming in at 109. So, I mean, Mookie should at the very least keep that top spot but you just, like I initially asked, you know, what's the ceiling? And 150 would be uh, really cool and would look very good, you know, in terms of trade value for us trade Mookie guys, which I think I'm the only one on the show right now steadfastly on that wagon. But uh, but impressive, uh, you know, summer nonetheless for Mookie. Uh, my uh, hero for the series uh, is going to be Andrew Kashner. I don't think any of us have used him as a hero because he's actually been terrible for most of his uh, Red Sox tenure so far. But he did uh, basically save us. He was the hero of Game 1 by pitching four innings and uh, two uh, gave up, let's see, uh, no hits actually in those four innings. Walked two, struck out three. The only guy that can give you that kind of length is Johnson, so I, I think I'd rather take my can- chances uh, with Kashner. And uh, yeah, so I I I think he's uh, worthy of being a hero at least this one time. Yeah, really. Uh, since they moved him to the bullpen, uh, yeah, he's been he's been pretty good. Uh, um, his last uh, six times out, he's he's racked up uh, ten innings and given up one run over that that span. Um, over the last two weeks, I think uh, he's been as good as anybody out there. Um, you know that the, the they've thrown out. Uh, last last two weeks, he's got eight innings pitched, and he's got a one thirteen ERA. So, hey, um, you know I've, I've banged on this guy pretty hard all all uh, since they picked him up. He just hasn't performed. But out of the bullpen, as a as a long relief guy, I'm I'm not sure that maybe I don't give him some sort of offer to be that guy if he continues on this path. Um, He's he's definitely not somebody I want in the rotation, but you know maybe his stuff plays up better as a reliever. I don't know that he's ever really been used as a reliever that I can think of uh, in his career. I think he's usually been uh, maybe outside of when he first came up with San Diego. He's pretty much been a back of the rotation type player. So uh, right now they they found something with him. It's working and uh, you ride it and then maybe see what happens in the offseason if you can sign him at a decent rate and, and maybe you keep him but yeah he's he's been good and 
to your point, um, he's about the only guy that's going to give you long innings outside of Johnson, and I don't even want Johnson on this team, even with September call-ups. The guy's just freaking awful. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's pitched well. That's a, that's a solid hero. Charlie? Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, Andrew Kashner's – I mean, I for, forgot that he didn't start in San Diego. I had to look that one up. But, I mean, even from, you know, being around for 10 years, the guy's only got 57 career wins. Uh, he's been, like you mentioned again, kind of repeating it, uh, back, of the, back of the rotation guy. He's never going to be your elite one or two. That's just not going to happen because he's below average as a pitcher. Um, but what we've seen is, is kind of – hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan and this is something that can last a little while longer um because the the starts that he gave when he joined boston were abysmal they were just awful i think he only had like maybe one good start maybe and everything else after that was just garbage so uh that was kind of nice to see him go four innings without allowing a, a base hit which is really nice so props there like Matt said, he's gone several appearances in a row. And his first relief appearance, he went one and two-thirds, did give up uh, three earned runs. So his his start to that transition didn't go well, but he's only given up one earned run uh, since then. That came to the Phillies in that two-game set. I think he's going to make a case to a lot of teams looking for an inexpensive uh, relief option. I don't know if the Red Sox will uh, play a part in that, you know, if he fits into their bullpen plans for next year. We can't really put a value on him because the sample size is too small, and it's small enough that he could still end up being a complete bust as a reliever whether it's with us or in another market. But he's certainly making the case. Another starting pitcher that comes to mind that was highly touted as someone who could be a good starter and failed and ultimately thrived as a reliever was Andrew Miller. He bounced around from a couple of organizations. I think the Red Sox ultimately got him from the Tigers organization and it was actually Bobby Valentine who uh, made the conversion with him, uh, you know, into a reliever. And he's gone on to be an absolute stud. I don't think Kashner has that type of a ceiling, but he was once a highly touted prospect himself, drafted by the Cubs, traded to the Padres for, <laughs> for, uh, Anthony Rizzo, which is insane because, you know, he's one of the top power hitters in Major League Baseball, one of the best first basemen. So <laughs> Cubs definitely won that trade, but I don't know. I'm just kind of kind of curious to see what becomes of Kashner in the future. And I like his intensity. You see that he gets fired up. He's got that kind of a mullet thing going on but the sides of his heads are, are, are shaved and he looks like he's straight out of sons of anarchy and i you know so yeah he does i think that's hilarious but but you know if we're gonna be serious about this wild card race you know for the rest of the month today's september 1st i think the last game of the season is the 28th or 29th we're gonna we're going to need a guy like Kashner to uh, 
log some innings. So it's crazy how uh, kind of goes full circle there. You figure uh, Rizzo was part of the. Uh, he was one of the cornerstones in the deal where the Red Sox traded for uh, Adrian Gonzalez, and then um, Rizzo gets traded for Cashner, who ultimately ends up back in Boston years later. So everything comes full circle on that deal. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, go ahead with your zero for the series. So my zero in this one is the same as my hero. I'm going with J.D. Martinez. Um, More on the defensive side, um, he kind of was a defensive liability and almost cost him the first game. Um, There was a pool host hit a a single to him, and and he was left in for whatever reason. Actually, Cora came back and said he left him in because he wanted his best hitter in there uh, late in the game. But in the ninth inning, uh, I mean – Really, if you close it out, it's it's game over. So instead of putting Bradley Jr. in right field or, or putting him in the outfield and adjusting the outfield so he had better defensive replacement, he left uh, he left Martinez in, and Martinez booted a single that came to him. The single would have scored one run, but they, uh, the Red Sox still would have been up by a run. Uh, probably the runner would have advanced from first to second. Nothing. No harm, no foul. Instead, he boots it, and then the guy comes around from first to score and tie the game. And they go on uh, to play until about 3.30 in the morning and uh, use up a lot of their bullpen. So, you know, he, I'm, I'm putting him as a zero just more to talk about how the defensive liability uh, with J.D. Martinez, and we've seen it in a couple games this year, um, uh, my thought is that it may actually impact him having more suitors uh to, to, if he does hit the free agent market, if he does opt out, I think a lot of people are seeing him as a DH. And I think that was the reason that he really didn't get signed early uh, last time he hit the free agent market. I mean, if you remember, the Red Sox got him late, and really it was the Red Sox bidding against the Red Sox and that. Um, I think it's going to have to be an AL team who's got a bunch of money. Uh, you're looking at probably any, any big market – uh, AL team who's looking for a, a DH. I don't think the people, at, it's especially as he gets a little bit older, um, anybody's going to be looking at him as a viable uh, option out in the outfield. Even though he's been serviceable, uh, he's a little bit of a liability out there. So, um, you know, I, I have him as a zero, but more as a talking point to kind of see what you guys think about. You know, does his defensive uh, – is he enough of a defensive liability to limit who's going to offer him a uh, contract if he opts out after the season? Uh, Charlie, go ahead. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, we've been talking about so much um, around contracts being given to players and also you know, rewarding players based on past performance, which has negatively impacted the Red Sox this year. And we've seen it where other other teams now are bringing in these mega albatross contracts like the Yankees who brought on Giancarlo Stanton, who's been a complete nobody this year. And they've done absolutely spectacular with an entire squad that doesn't have anything to do with Giancarlo Stanton. Um, you know, Severino's not there either. A lot of players that haven't been there all year. Now the Red Sox, you know, we, we lost... Um, Nathan Ivaldi, we gave him a huge contract. He barely was here. Um, now he's coming back, and it's great. But 
I don't know if if JD Martinez is going to be the answer long term because yes, he has the the option to to opt in, but my my fear is um, when you look at what he's going to be owed back end, he's going to have the option to he has the option of what opting out this year and I think next year too, right? Yeah, he next two seasons in a row he can opt out. He'll opt out after either this year or next year because I remember there was a major drop off in the way the contract was structured after this year and next year. I, I everyone thought he was going to be here for three years and then he's gone because the the dollar amount goes down like twenty five percent or something like that. Whatever it was, he doesn't make even twenty million each of the what twenty twenty one twenty twenty two uh, years and and that so. Um, I mean, God, it's it's so tough. And as a defensive liability, I only remember him making one error before this series, and that was in the first series of the season. Other than that, because he doesn't really play in the field, I wonder how many errors he'd actually commit if he played full-time. But uh, there are going to be a lot of teams that go for it, and I think the Red Sox are finally starting to see, like, okay, cool, we've got Rafael Devers starting to light up the Christmas tree. We have Xander Bogarts, potentially you know, Mookie Betts if he stays here long-term. I think a lot of... J.D. Martinez will depend on what happens with Mookie Betts. If Mookie goes, there's a higher probability of him staying. If Mookie's gone. If Mookie stays, J.D.'s gone, 100%. Uh, J.D. has made uh, $23.7 million uh, this year and last year. He makes that same salary next year in 2020, and uh, then it drops down to 193 so he'll have $62.5 million remaining. So just to make the math easy, just call it 20 a year on average. Sure. And he, if he opts in this year but opts out the next year, that would be his age 33 season. And I just – you don't see a lot of those guys getting big contracts. Nelson Cruz on the Twins – after the all-star break, like went on an absolute tear, had something like 16 home runs and not that many games, you know, within about a three week span. And, you know, he's significantly older. He's like age 38 or 39 and he's getting 10 million a year, but you know, he's a DH as well. And I don't think, I don't think Martinez is going to be valued at much more than that. If he does opt out, because like Matt said, he's going to be signed as a DH. And I've been adamant this whole time since the All-Star break when he and Scott Boris basically admitted during a press conference at the All-Star game that, yes, his market is going to be a little tricky. And the fact that the DH won't be in the National League until 2023 at the absolute earliest is definitely going to hurt him. So I think he's definitely going to an American League team. The Yankees are out because they're over the luxury tax. They're going to prioritize their own players that they currently have. And and as Charlie, you made an excellent point on the Stanton deal. They're getting nothing out of that. That's going to be an extremely painful contract in four or five years, if not even earlier than that. So, you know, I don't think they're going to take a chance on Martinez, who is injury prone. And I don't think the Astros are going to make a big splash on him. After that, who's left? 
there's really not many teams that are gonna that are gonna overvalue someone like him. And just look at some of the plays he botched in this Anaheim series. Pretty, pretty routine plays for the most part. Even the ball at the wall that ended up being a homer, an average right fielder would have caught that. And he botched it, and it cost us a run. And had that run not happened, maybe the game ends in nine innings and not all the way into the 15th. And he had another ball get past him, the the one Matt was referencing. And and even on plays that he made, they weren't pretty. It was just an all-around ugly weekend in the outfield for J.D. Martinez. And I think it, it's ultimately the death nail for any National League team that was remotely entertaining possibly pursuing him if he opted out. I think he opts in anyway, and it all becomes a moot point. But not a good weekend for Martinez, you know, in right field. And let me ask you this. Actually, let me ask you this. What? Why is Cora putting us in that position? Because, Matt, you, you made the quote that, you know, Cora wanted his best guys in there. And I also read further that, since we were up by two runs, that was ultimately what kept him in there. Cora said if we were only up by one, he probably puts Bradley in. But why get why get weird with your lineups when you're five games out? You know, just just I, I don't get that either. I I really don't. I mean, I I think that that may be a downfall of Cora's. I I think sometimes he overthinks things. And uh, that that may end up being a detriment, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't get that. I mean, you look at, at Bradley Jr. and yeah, he hasn't been great this year, but he's been a little bit hotter of late. He went 0 for one. That was the stat for for the three game series. 0 for one. Uh, I know Benintendi came back in this series and and he hit 200. He had a couple of RBIs, but I mean, you're you're rolling out there with. Uh, Gurkis Hernandez. Um, I'm trying to think of who else would have been out in the outfield. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Martinez. I don't get it. I'd, I'd rather see Martinez at DH, especially as hot as he is. Um, another point that needs to be made is is the fact that you know the more that Martinez is um, the more that Martinez is out in the outfield. Uh, there's a direct correlation typically to his back issues. Uh, if he's running around in the outfield, his back tends to flare up. So um, if I'm looking at, at, at that as a, a team that's prospective uh, suitor, if it is, that scares me off a little bit. I, I don't want to deal with somebody who has a little bit of an injury history, especially when they play in the field. Um you know, the Red Sox should be utilizing him only as a DH. He's so valuable to that lineup offensively. Why risk uh, any kind of injury by putting him out in the outfield? When you have, essentially, now that Benintendi's back, you have three solid, um, have basically center field caliber players at all three positions. Maybe the best defensive outfield in all of baseball. And you're throwing him out there for what reason? Uh, is there somebody better than him at DH? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't get any of it. Uh, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. 
No, absolutely not. And I, it's just frustrating. I would just rather see Alex Cora ride the same rhythm that has really led to a pretty strong two or three weeks here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I, I, it's just it's frustrating. You know, he can he can DH and you can get you know creative in other ways with your outfield. So, uh, Charlie, go ahead. Uh, who uh, is your zero? So my zero for this series was Ryan Brazier, who just. Uh, did not look good, didn't really get comfy in the first game, walked a couple guys, couldn't really get the job done. And uh, the second game of the series, he it was just a, an absolute disaster. Six runs in a couple – he didn't finish the inning. Six runs in two-thirds of an inning, five hits, still walked another guy. So he, he walked three, struck out three in an inning and a third, gave up six runs, so ZRA was over 40. Uh, if my math's correct on that, for just two games. So we saw his ERA jump up to over five. And, uh, I mean, it's very uncharacteristic to see him, I think, pitch that poorly because he, for the most part, has been one of our more consistent guys. We see his ERA jump up from under four to over five. Um, Relievers, obviously, if you don't pitch that much, you're going to see a little bit more fluctuating and whatnot it's it's not as hard to see something get really blown up but uh that actually made me pretty nervous he's had he's had moments where you know you look back at the start of the year where he had really no glaring issues he had like a couple hiccups in may um but this was i think his worst career performance so maybe this is just a dud we throw it out but you gotta kind of maybe raise red flags if 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 we're having problems right now I think Ryan Brazier is is the type of guy that's going to be very Heath Hembree-esque. You're going to have your good streaks and you're going to have your painful ones. And and this weekend was pretty painful and I'm not buying Brutal. I'm not buying any propaganda whatsoever from the Red Sox front office that he could potentially in the future be a late in guy. I just I don't believe in it, and we're in a situation right now where, like I said in the intro, we essentially had three openers for each of the games. So eventually, you're gonna have to put Brazier in there, and you know you're gonna run out of relievers at some point if you don't. And you know, so they put him in there, and he was terrible. I'll be completely honest with you. I was dozing on and off throughout game two. And I woke up for the Brazier, uh, you know, inning. And he allowed two base runners. I can't remember if there was, uh, if they were walks or hits. But he put two runners on with no outs. And I said, I'm turning the TV off and I'm going to bed. And I woke, <laughs> I woke up the next morning, and the Red Sox lost two, uh, ten to four, and they were up by a run when Brazier came in. <laughs> so yeah, so I stopped watching. Funny, it's funny that you say that. I stopped watching after six. I was like, all right, I feel pretty good. We got the lead. We just won the last one. I feel good about this, and we'll we'll see if we if we make it two in a row. I wake up in the morning, similar to yourself. 
And it's just, what what happened? I'm looking at the line. It's like, oh, God, Brazier blew up. Like someone just must have been whispering sweet little nothings in the ear and he forgot what he was doing. Uh, but it, it uh, you know, I mean, Red Sox, we all know what they spent on their bullpen. Uh, they, they've they've spent so much more on, in other areas and in relation to other teams. Like, oh, when, when people compare the Red Sox bullpen to other teams, such as the Yankees, you look at how much the Red Sox have spent. And then you look at how much the Yankees have way overpaid for their bullpen. But there's a reason why they're going to do better. They've spent, I don't know how many times more, 10 times more probably. They do have Here's a the thing, though. They, they definitely overuse them in the series. I mean, the first one, if J.D. doesn't boot the ball and, and they get out of that inning and then they don't have to go into extra innings and utilize the bullpen even more there, uh, that helps. But, I mean... You used 20 pitchers to pitch 32 innings in a three-game series. That's not good. Uh, their rotation isn't going deep. Uh, to be honest with you, it, uh, Avaldi went the deepest, uh, and he went four innings. And actually, he didn't pitch bad. I think I called that. Um, just throwing that out there, I may have called that he he was due for that. But, um, you know, four innings, three hits. An earned run, walk, and eight Ks. I mean, Avaldi looked good, but Price goes two innings, um, and and they try to conserve him because they didn't want him to go deep. Um, you basically used a a um, an opener for the second game uh, to to go. Yeah, you figure 20, 20 uh, pitchers going going thirty two innings. I mean, uh, most of these guys are only going a couple innings at most, so. Not good. I mean, granted, you had the, the September call-ups, which, uh, you know, gave you a few extra arms in the bullpen. But still, I mean, those first two games, you didn't have that luxury. And, and they're taxing it again. And Brazier and Barnes have not been good uh, when used in back-to-back days. Barnes was used in back-to-back-to-back days. Uh, and it didn't end well. Uh, game one and, and game three were not fantastic for Barnes. Uh, he gave up runs in both of those. Um you know, I think that's as big of a thing as any. I, these guys, yes, they've blown 25 saves um, this year. That's the second most in baseball uh, behind only the Nationals. But, you know, ancillary numbers are still fairly solid for this bullpen. They've had a pretty good run. But when you just tax the living hell out of these guys by by having starters that are going two, three, four innings at most – you know, uh, the only guys that are that are going more than four innings right now are Erod and and um, and Porcello. Uh, and Porcello is usually only going five. Erod might get six or seven, but that means you have three guys who are going less than four innings. Uh, that that's just going to beat your bullpen down. So they've got some solid guys out there, but you just can't expect them to come out and pitch. You know. Uh, anywhere from 20, 30 innings a week, it's, it's just not sustainable. I'm actually kind of shocked. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, you, you bring up, you bring us some great points about how the fact that, you know, they, they brought in, what was it like seven or eight pitchers in the first game it was one, two, three, let's see, six, eight guys in the game one, you see six coming game two, and then you see six again. I'm kind of shocked that they didn't let, you know, kind of extend Brian Johnson a little bit. He only threw like 50 pitches. I'm curious why they they didn't let him get a little bit more. He's had the ability to go deeper. I'll, I'll tell you why. 
Okay. He sucks. He sucks. Uh, and he gives up a ton of runs. He gives up a ton of runs every time he's out there. He doesn't even belong in the major leagues. Uh, he sucks. So, I mean, four innings, two runs. Uh, that was actually a solid outing, outing yeah. by uh, Brian Johnson standards. But, uh, I mean, in, in that time, he, he still allowed a bunch of base runners. He blew a save. Uh, he didn't look good. So, that's why you can't run him out there. I, I mean, you can run he and Hector Velasquez out there if you want to lose by 18 runs every game, but uh, they both suck, and they shouldn't be on a roster. Uh, that also goes for Josh Smith, who also sucks. Uh, there's a bunch of those guys that that they end up using in long relief that just end up getting obliterated every time, and, and you can't do that, and that's probably why they didn't leave him out there. It's uh, the, the Tyler, Tyler Thornburg dilemma every single game he started it was russian roulette is it going to be one run is it going to be two runs is it going to be three because no way does it get out of there without escaping uh without giving up at least one yeah i just just to get back to brazier for a second he both outings weren't good so whether they were back to back or not they they weren't good you know his they're horrible the first out the first of the two he he went what two thirds of an inning, gave up yep. two hits, two walks, something like that, or maybe it was just two walks. Yeah, two just walks. Just two walks. Yeah, and walked two. Two strikeouts, I think, is what what else it was, but just not good. And and typically with Brazier, you know he's not going to be good. Usually within the first batter, you just look at him and you're like, he's not going to locate tonight, and it's going to be ugly. And that's why I turned the TV off. I, I just knew <laughs> he just he was gonna he was gonna have a terrible outing, and and it was gonna cost us the game, and we weren't gonna have a very good answer for the next inning. I, I didn't feel like so. Um, so I just I'm not saying. I mean, he he he's he's good enough to have some sort of a role, but. I just don't think it's going to be consistently a high leverage role, and it shouldn't be. And and I I did concede though that this series we didn't get the length from a lot of guys, so you're going to find him in there, you know, at least one of those games. But absolutely terrible. Well, here's the crazy thing: it looked like he had he he looked like he had righted the ship. Uh, he had given up one run in his uh, seven previous outings, and and he was striking guys out. The WHIP was low, the ERA was low, and now all of a sudden, you know, he has that one game where just the wheels fall off, and and uh, he's been susceptible to that this year, where he wasn't last year. So. I, I don't know. I, I thought they had him fixed, but now I I kind of sit here thinking that maybe I stand corrected on that. Well, here's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, what are we what are we comparing him to? Are we comparing him to a two-month sample size last year when he had like a ridiculous one-point-something ERA? That's, that's deceptive, though, because Cora continually, especially in the second half of September, had to go get him with, with runners on base. And that was kind of a theme two or three times throughout the playoffs where – he just had to go get him. So his numbers didn't look terrible because the, the reliever that came in after him ultimately didn't allow those runs to score. But there's really no solid comp, you know, with Brazier. Like, we, there's the sample size was too small last year, and he last pitched in the majors in 2013 
before the Red Sox called him up. So I don't know. I just it's it's a stretch to me. You you look at the bullpen as a whole outside of Brandon Workman, the bullpen is crap. It's it's so bad. You, you, Brazier's got in the area over five. Matt Barnes over four. Walden has been good, but Velasquez awful. Evaldi's coming back. Taylor Taylor's whatever. Cash maybe he's starting to become a good reliever. Heath Hembry he has like moments of brilliance, and then you're kind of left scratching head on other other days. Um, but I mean, we have no bullpen. That's the thing. I mean, even from before the season start, when Dave Dombrowski even was talking about at the trade deadline, he was saying, oh, yeah, there are some teams that were calling about our guys. Really? Which ones? I'd love to know because I don't think anybody wanted our bullpen unless they were just like looking for people to like put in there for mop-up games. No one wanted our team. See, I would argue that there have been some some solid contributors. I mean, uh, Darwin's and Hernandez has been pretty pretty good. I mean, he's struggled a little bit with control issues, but he's shown some closer stuff with a lot of strikeout ability. Josh Taylor's been pretty good. Um, Walden's been pretty good. Yeah, Hembry's been hit or miss. I, I think the guys that have been the most killer are Brazier and, and Barnes, and those guys were tagged to be your your closers, uh, your closer by committee, and and. I think if you looked at how many blown saves of the 25 belong to those two, it's it's a pretty high number. Uh, Workman's Workman's been as clutch as anybody, um, you know. But Cashner's been pretty good of of late. They've they've had a lot more solid bullpen of late, uh, and I think a lot of that coincides with getting rid of the closer by committee uh, type deal and going over to Workman as their their guy. It kind of put everybody in defined roles, which has helped. Um, that that closer by committee has not worked at all, and the two guys that they had pegged as a closer uh, definitely could not close out. And I, I, you know, you kind of saw that with Barnes. Barnes was a pretty good setup man last year, or actually, he was more the seventh inning guy because uh, Kelly tended to be the eighth inning guy. Mm-hmm. But um, he he just wasn't a super high leverage guy, and he's not good back to back games, and and he has a little bit of a propensity to get wild at times. So, uh, and Brazier again to to Terry's point, his track record wasn't very long. I mean, yeah, they they picked him off the scrap heap, and he was a guy that I think was pitching in like Korea or he was pitching in Japan or something prior to this. So, um, yeah, he pitched great last year. I think that. You know, Brazier's ability is somewhere between what he's done this year and what he did last year. I don't think he's quite as awful as he has been this year, and he's nowhere near as good as he was last year. So uh, neither one of them are closers. Uh, I could see them being guys that are sixth, seventh inning type players. Uh, you know, I, I, I still contend that I would like to see Hernandez down the stretch as your closer. Uh, and just see if he's got the makeup because if he does, he's a low, uh, he's a low cost closer. Uh, then you can move Workman to your your eighth inning role, and then have uh, the trio of Brazier, Barnes, and and Taylor as your uh, six seventh guys, uh, six and seven guys. And and that's a pretty solid bullpen. And and if you get a couple young guys like. Uh, Hauk or somebody like that in there that that does well, um, you know, Henry, um, you know, Walden, some of these guys we talked about earlier, 
Cashner is your long man. The bullpen all of a sudden doesn't look awful. I don't even know that you really add have to add that much to it. But you know, the the Brazier and Barnes blow ups have have cost them a hell of a lot of games this year. Before I uh, get into mine, I just want to point out. Uh, Darwin's and Hernandez, ever since being made a reliever, has been extremely solid. He gave up a two spot to the Yankees on July 28th, uh, gave up just a single uh, run in in a, a Kansas City Royals appearance and then a Baltimore Orioles appearance, and then his only terrible outing came on... August 10th against the Anaheim Angels, who we just played. He gave up uh, four hits on on four runs that appearance. And then just this weekend, he uh, had a two-inning outing on Friday against the Angels. Uh, So two innings, gave up three hits, no earned runs, struck out five. So he just basically destroyed the team that destroyed him and he's only given up runs in four relief appearances i'm not going to count them but out of probably 12 14 15 appearances the strikeouts are really eye-popping for him he's more often than not getting multiple strikeouts uh, even in his one inning outings and his k through nine right now is 16.75 which is just off the charts like 12.0 would be absolutely killing it and he's 16.5 so absolute stud i think he is a reliever everybody cites the fact that he does have four pitches most relievers have two maybe a third occasionally but i wouldn't mess with him and i'd kind of leave him in that role Tanner Houck, you know, was converted to a reliever in anticipation that we might need him this month uh, for, you know, a a playoff or even a division race at that point because it was late June when they made that uh, switch for him. I fully expect that during spring training he'll be uh, stretched back out into a uh, starting pitching role and giving the injury prone you know natures of sale price and and uh, Evaldi, I, I think you're gonna you're gonna need at least one starter to come up from the farm but but I think Hernandez could be um, you know maybe the closer of the future great. Uh, my hero uh, zero, rather, for the series is going to be Christian Vasquez. 0 for 13, uh, contributed literally nothing. He didn't drive anyone in, you know, on a fly ball. Didn't draw any walks, which would have le- could have led to a run scored. Zeros uh, literally all across the board. Still hitting, uh, you know, 275 for uh, the last month. So hitting very well for average compared to, um, you know, his career average. He's hitting well above that. But haven't really seen the explosiveness. Only three home runs since August 1st. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I this. Mean, uh, the, oh, go ahead. Oh no! Please, you go. No, I was just going to say, yeah, the catchers, the catchers were not very good in this one. Uh, you, you had a combined between uh, Leon and, and Vasquez. You had a, a 0 for 19 from the catching uh, position for the Red Sox. Uh, Vasquez has uh, slowed down or, uh, and, and cooled off considerably. Um, he was somebody who was having, it's still a career year. I mean, as far as home runs, RBIs, things like that. But he's definitely not quite on the tear he was on earlier uh, this season. So uh, not, a, not a bad pick on this one. Uh, hopefully he picks it up down the stretch. They're definitely going to need him to be back to early season Vasquez if they hope to catch the wild card position. Yeah, just a, a little on that. Um, that that was definitely going to come back down. He wasn't going to be able to sustain that long term. Um I think with everything going on with the baseball this year, that was to be a little bit expected that a couple players might have been a little bit of a surprise, you know, seeing seeing Christian Vasquez do that. If, if they do something to the ball again, I don't think we're going to see that again. But um, naturally, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's similar to Devers. You know, we saw Devers, like, crush it and then kind of be a little bit of a ghost the past couple games. Um, so... There's going to be ebbs and flows of certain players, and Christian Vasquez, we know what we get from him, and hopefully uh, he can turn it back around. Uh, getting into the September call-ups, uh, Matt, why don't you uh, walk us through that? Yeah, I think uh, the first one, uh, actually, before we kind of get to the call-ups, because he was technically part of the call-ups, but... Um, Jules Chassin was released uh, by Milwaukee uh, earlier this week, and uh, he was their opening day starter. He hasn't been very good for them this year. I mean, he went 3-10 and with a 579 ERA on 19 starts. Uh, that was over 88 and two-thirds innings. But this is a guy that, I mean, last year he threw almost 200 innings, uh, went 15-8 and uh, with a 350 ERA. Uh, I Previous year, he went 13 and 10 with San Diego, uh, 389 ERA. He's had some solid, excuse me, some solid seasons out in Colorado. Uh, he's only 31 years of age, so this is kind of a low risk, uh, high reward type signing. Uh, they had assigned him to a minor league deal after he was let go, uh, and then they just called him up today. So. Uh, he he kind of is the headline on this. I think he will be part of that rotation, and he's going to be an innings eater. Uh, they need that. I mean, to our to our previous conversation about how much they had to use the bullpen uh, this this series, uh, he might be a guy that slots in there instead of Brian Johnson. Uh, maybe they can send him to Siberia or something and uh, put Chassin put in his position. And now you have uh, probably Evaldi, um, Avaldi, Porcello, Chassin, Erod, and then and, and Price. So now you actually go back to five starters. Uh, although I, I don't know if Avaldi's fully stretched out. I mean, four innings was pretty solid. He's got to be getting pretty close to the five inning mark. So you almost have five starters again. So he was the first guy. Um, they also called up uh, Juan Centeno. Uh, who I know literally nothing about other than he's a catcher. Uh, Gurkis Hernandez, um, who 
ironically set the Pawtucket franchise record for most Ks by a right-handed batter in a single season with 146. Um, they also brought, uh, they called backup Travis Lakins, Hector Velasquez, and Ryan Weber, all of whom we saw in the series, all of whom, uh, well, other than maybe Lakins, uh, have not really been that great this year. So that's our call-up so far. I, I would anticipate they still at some point call up Dahlbeck. Uh, he's just been crushing it down in the minors. He doesn't really have much left to prove. They might as well bring him up as another bat and, and just let him crush it at the major league level. So that's that's pretty much the call-ups. Nobody really, uh, no game changers in there. I, I don't know why we're messing with a third catcher at this point because you're going to want Vazquez bat in there, you know, as much as possible. And uh, Chavis is going to be back before long. So you're not going to see Vazquez at first base a whole lot. So I just, I just think having a third catcher is completely pointless. And uh, with signing uh, Chassin to a minor league deal, that's great on paper. He was extremely solid last year, a big part of that NLCS run with the Brewers. But this Red Sox coaching staff isn't the Houston Astros coaching staff. You know, the like I said last show, the Astros can take a number five starter, turn him into a number three, you know, and you have enough... <laughs> Uh, this might be exaggerating, but you know I I've been joking that the Red Sox could take a number one starter and turn him into a number three. Um, I just I don't know if they're gonna be able to provide Chasin with the uh, solutions that he'll need to um, you know be a a viable starter. You know I think. You know, realistically, maybe he slots into a role similar to uh, Kashner or Johnson. But I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope he goes out and dazzles right away. But it just seems pretty far-fetched to me. Yeah, I, I think that um, while it was interesting to see that, you know, he, he's another – he, like – you know, Owings, when he came to Boston, kind of just shaking my head like, wait, what? What's happening right now? I, I don't think he's going to be a long-term solution. But, I mean, they're just kind of trying to keep their tail from getting ripped off. Right now it's hanging or just chilling right in between their legs. We're, this is, you know, the season is lost right now. Um, there's been way too much that's gone the wrong direction for the Red Sox this year. So I'm not expecting anything crazy from Chassin or those you guys I'm still here I don't know I I, I think we lost uh, I, I think lost. we lost Charlie on there but it looks usually I'm the uh, culprit oh there he is oh, sorry oh, sorry about that I, I dropped the phone that's <laughs> um, okay <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, no, JD I, Martinez I, I was gonna... dropping things all weekend, so I, I yeah, right, yeah, he and I, you know, um, that's an E five right there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, folks. Um, no, for me, having a third catch up there too. Again, I'm shaking my head. I mean, unless I'm I miss something, I, I I don't know. I don't know why. I just don't know. How many guys can they have on this team right now? 
I mean, is it is it limited to a certain number? Yeah. Or what, what's the deal with that with it, the September call-ups? It used to be 40, literally, uh, after... Before this season, it could be as many as 40. So the clubhouse would just be absolutely mobbed. Uh, with the new changes, you know, this kind of came with the, uh, you know, the mound visits and, uh, you know, some of the other minor changes. Apparently only, uh, I think, three call-ups uh, can be added. You can only add three players to the roster beyond uh, the 25, which is, I think, the way it should be. But that's one change. I know I criticize everything, but but that's one uh, change that I, I do kind of support. Yeah, it used to be forty, like you mentioned. Now I don't I don't even know what the rules are because we're we're going to be getting rid of, you know, they got rid of that non waiver trade deadline, which I actually kind of liked. I'm not going to lie, uh, but now there's been so many rule changes. I, I I'm a little bit behind myself. Yeah, and like, I mean they called up seven. They called up seven today, so it's it's got to be it's got to be something. I'm going to look that up right now. But uh, yeah, I, I mean uh, it's seven with David David Price being added to the the roster. I don't think they dropped anything off the roster, so I need to I need to see that. But I mean I I would anticipate Dahlback would be called up. I I think he's more of a viable option than. You know, a third catcher or Hernandez or some of these other guys that they called up. I get why they pulled up all the pitching. I mean, when you've thrown that many innings out of the bullpen, you need some guys that can eat innings, and that's kind of more what Velasquez and Weber and and Lakins and Chasin were. So, uh, although I expect Chasin to uh, to stick for a while, those other guys, you know, are, are likely going to be shuttling back and forth between the majors and AAA. The mm-hmm. thing you're confused with, Matt, is players were added to the 40-man roster, and they need to be on the 40-man roster before they can be put on the uh, 25-man, or however many it is now, 28. So Chris uh, Chris Sale was moved to the 60-day uh, to make room on the 40-man. Uh, another injured player, I forget who. But a bunch of a bunch of dominoes fell, and there there were seven players involved. But uh, that didn't necessarily put them on the twenty five man roster. But yeah. So anyway, so uh, getting into uh, one of the bigger news stories league wide, uh, you know, was the Tyler Skaggs autopsy findings. And, you know, the Red Sox happened to be playing the, the team that, that um, you know, Skaggs pitched for. And uh, I just want to go back to last year. We'll kind of go through this. Um, go back to mid-June. He was, he was found dead on July 1st. But I just want to just point out how well he was pitching. Uh June 13th against the Tampa Bay Rays, he went five innings, gave up seven hits, three earned runs, struck out five. Next start on June 18th against the Toronto Blue Jays, went seven and one-third innings, gave up only three hits on one earned run, six strikeouts. Next start on 
June 23rd against the St. Louis Cardinals. Five innings pitched, uh, gave up four hits, zero earned runs, struck out three, and then what ended up being the final start of his life, June 29th against the Oakland A's. He only went four and one-third inning, but uh, gave up just two hits on two earned runs, walked four, and struck out five. Less than 48 hours later, he was being wheeled out of his hotel room in a body bag. And the initial uh, information provided by the uh, South Lake, Texas, Police department was that there were no signs of foul play. Uh, suicide wasn't likely to be, uh, you know, as a result of his death. And a guy that was pitching very well, 27 years old, prime of his career. We know now that it was drugs, but going back to that day on July 1st, what were you guys' thoughts on what could have happened? Like, how, how were you guys processing this on that day? Yeah, I, I know I looked at it, and uh, he was obviously a top prospect coming up and you look at it anytime uh, a life is lost especially at, at such a young age with so much promise it's it's unfortunate um you know i looked at it and and i always question i you know uh, unfortunately i I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of of the cause i mean we look at recent issues like this whether it be jose fernandez who was tragically lost in a boat accident with two of his friends i mean you know everybody was mourning it and then they find out that he his um blood alcohol content was high and he he was high on cocaine uh you look at the roy halliday plane accident i mean granted he had retired already but drugs in the system oscar tavares was another guy um, his blood alcohol content when uh, he died in a car crash with him himself and his girlfriend, uh, his blood alcohol content was almost three. Uh, you look at these, and it's it's just unfortunate. And and usually, all ultimately uh, related to this. Um, you know, regardless though, whether it was that or he had some sort of heart issue or and embolism or whatever other freak it, it could have been something freak um it, it was tragic and it's unfortunate and you see how moved his teammates were it seems like he was a very good guy uh, again young guy just married looking to start a family it, it was just absolutely tragic charlie yeah um when when the news came out that eggs had passed away it was uh, from living in la seven and a half years i remember what it was like living in la after nick Aidenhart had passed away and um that was a surreal feeling like being you know i, I watched the angels play I wasn't an angels fan but supported the la teams while, while i was there and uh, it was it was a, a very odd feeling. I, I can't I can't describe it. And then this one, I feel like this one hit home because 
Uh, still a young kid. It wasn't after his first major league start. Like he'd had a couple starts, but he recently got married at the end of 2018. Again, like you mentioned, incredibly well liked, super fun individual. Everyone loved him. My heart goes out to his entire family, especially his wife. Um, she's. I, I don't know how you how you how you pick this up, but I mean, at that age, it can it could really only be one thing. Um, which is unfortunate, and uh, we, we were just waiting now at that point in time after the initial announcement of um, Tyler passing away. Um, it, it was just a matter of, okay, how? Like, what What drug? And that, that was it, because 27, 26-year-old kids, it's not they go to sleep and they, do, they don't wake up uh, the next day. That, that's not normal. Um, and uh, it's, it's just tragic. I mean, we already talked about you know, Matt, you already mentioned uh, Roy Halladay. I remember when that happened, I was absolutely shocked because um, he was my favorite pitcher outside of Pedro Martinez. Um, just sad, tragic. There's nothing else you can say. It's it's terrible. It won't be, you know, it will not be the last one. Uh, there, unfortunately, it will happen again, and we will, you know, feel bad and mourn those as well. Um, it's just sad. It's tragic. There uh, was no signs of of drug use um, at the scene, so that was reported. There was uh, a report by the uh, it was a local L.A. paper, uh, a Santa Monica Observer, actually, to be exact, and. Two days after he died, they uh, an article was written uh, and posted by a writer by the name of, uh, looking for it, Stan Green, who is a, a columnist with the uh, Santa Monica Observer. And he speculated that it, it could, in fact, be drug-related. And uh, here's a quote from him. Given that Skaggs was in good mental health and seeing uh, multiple doctors, it seems like he made the the same fatal mistake Tom Petty did last year. He obtained several opioid painkillers from several doctors and didn't tell the doctors he was seeing that several other doctors, uh, you know, had also prescribed meds and that, like Petty, simply overdosed on his own medication and after that came out no he and this writer didn't cite any sources didn't have any evidence it was just complete speculation on his part and then so this led to a lot of outrage the article was deleted and a um one of the editors had to publish a statement as to why that article ended up being deleted. And um, this is what was uh, posted. Um, the, the response from the Santa Monica Observer, I mean, um, it said they were attacked on multiple fronts, quote, not simply in the form of a threat letter from lawyers, I'm not on the right part. I'm really bad at this. And okay, so they they were being attacked from all fronts it says. And then 
And then it says uh, the paper staff also received multiple threats and attacks from anonymous sources, including a creepy text message sent to a young female intern's phone. So all of this was published. An apology had to happen. The uh, South Lake, Texas Police Department basically admonished uh, that newspaper for jumping to conclusions and that there was no evidence to back up any of their claims and there was no evidence that that he did in fact overdose so here's what i'm wondering just with with the santa monica observer and the threats like how do you guys interpret those is it is it family and friends pissed off at this newspaper? And, and to be clear, we can only speculate. <laughs> this is just completely speculating. Is it the family and friends lashing out because they're upset that their guy is being slandered? Or could it be potentially people that, you know, the tragedy could be traced back to, you know, you know, essentially people that could be responsible for his death trying to take control of the situation. Like, how do you guys, how do you guys interpret that? Because this was highly publicized across several media outlets just two days after he died. I mean, it could be fans as well. I mean, fans never want to admit that there may be an issue until it comes out, and and a lot of times they're they're very protective of their own people. I have no idea, honestly. I don't even want to speculate who it could have been or or why. Um, you know, and 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 even if it was, let's say, and this is purely speculation again, his family or or whatever. Um, you know, obviously they. You know, it doesn't seem like they would have known about it. It doesn't seem like anybody was aware of it. His friends, his family, anybody was aware of any kind of, um, you know, abuse issues uh, as far as substance abuse um, prior to this. So, I I don't know. I mean, I I would guess if I had to, just pure speculation here, that it it was probably fans that didn't like, uh, didn't like, uh, one of their guys is being attacked. Charlie. Did we lose Charlie again? No, he's still there. Charlie, any thoughts? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. You're on mute. Okay. <laughs> I've been talking. I don't know what happened. Um, so uh, this is not the first time that information has gotten quote leaked whether it been you know it's 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 unfortunately the same thing with like um tech companies that have new products that get leaked out and whatnot um it was unfortunate that they made that speculation without the proof now the proof is already there um there must have been someone that might have had that insider information um unfortunately it backfired badly um but above fans, it's going to be family. Family is going to be the one that wants to shut that shit down. They, they, they're the ones that are, are hurting the most. Uh, his wife, especially too. Um, you know, coming off of a, 
you know, you just got married and six months later, you've uh, a situation happened, an accident happened because a lot of people that overdose on drugs, they don't do it intentionally. Um, they don't, they don't do it with the intention of trying to kill themselves. So it's, I don't think, uh, someone who's in their upper twenties, relatively new in, in marriage, you know, six months, seven months married, uh, is trying to do something where that's, you know, the outcome. I think he was trying to deal with some kind of pain. Uh, there was something definitely going on because you're not just going to take, you're not going to sign up and say, yeah, I want to take this. I don't take that. And let's see what happens. It doesn't make sense. So there, there had, there, there's definitely something that hasn't been discussed or disclosed beforehand. And there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on now where there was uh, someone who apparently worked for the angels. that was in the know of what was happening. And now the family is, going to be suing i'm not sure what what's happening but they're they're going to be you know again speculating a little bit but there's there's going to be a wrongful death lawsuit filed on behalf of the skaggs family because of information that you know has now been made public where there might there might have been someone on the angels team whether it was staffer medical personnel someone knew about something going on involving tyler skaggs and it wasn't brought up and maybe it could have been prevented. Maybe this could have been something that didn't have to be the situation, which is, I really hope not the case because that would really be bad for uh, a lot of reasons. The only reason we're aware of a possible staffer being involved is because the wife uh, included that in her statement. This is the wife's statement, and it starts, quote, we are heartbroken to learn that the passing of our beloved Tyler was the result of a combination of dangerous drugs and alcohol. Skaggs family said in a statement to the Los Angeles Times, this is completely out of character for someone who worked so hard to become a major league baseball player and had a very promising future in the game he loved so much. She goes on to say, we are grateful for the work of the detectives in the South Lake Police Department and their ongoing investigation into the circumstances surrounding Tyler's death. We were shocked to learn that it may involve an employee of the Los Angeles Angels. We will not rest until we learn the truth of how Tyler came into possession of these narcotics, including who supplied them. To that end, we have a uh, hired attorney, Rusty Harden, to assist us. And Rusty Harden is a very highly, um, is a very well-renowned uh, sports attorney. I meant to look up some other clients he's represented. One of them might have actually been Kobe Bryant. Um, but anyway, so his wife released that statement. That's the reason we're aware that uh, there could be a potential angels uh, employee in there. And we don't know what that means. Again, we can only speculate that could be a player, you know, that supplied him. It could have been a trainer, you know, a coach, a fitness person. It could have been someone from the front office. Like, there's a very wide spectrum of who this alleged employee could be. And I'm in my own speculation. I don't think, I don't think the, it's not an organizational thing that's going on there. It just happened to be one person who was shady and may or may not have had something to do with how 
Skaggs came into possession of those drugs. So here's another question then. Does this strike you? And actually, let me uh, let me read one other thing from TMZ because this was interesting. And TMZ is the only one to uh, have reported this. Uh, they said in an article, after talking about the drugs that were found in the system, TMZ says, it's interesting that the autopsy says when Skaggs was found dead in his hotel room, he was clothed in denim jeans, a black belt, with white metal decorations and a decorated white buckle. And uh, it said red boxer shorts, black socks, and dark brown cowboy western boots. The description sounds a lot like what Skaggs and his teammates were wearing on the plane when they flew uh, into Texas from California. They all wore cowboy-themed attire. So... I mean, that likely means he could have died, you know, technically on the 30th. He wasn't found until 2 p.m. on the 1st, and there's no 31st to the month of June. So it's the 30th into the 1st. He could have he could have died within hours of getting there. So I guess my question is, since we know that drugs were in his system, do you guys suspect this was a long-term thing he was fighting or could it have been he might have only done it a few times and just went a little too far and ultimately died like we can only speculate but what what's your read on that if i had to speculate and i kind of hate doing so and ultimately it's a moot point i mean the, the man lost his life and it doesn't really matter one way or the other but, uh, you know, it, it makes me wonder if uh, he was a guy that had had a number of shoulder and, and elbow issue, uh, issues in the past and, and kind of had a checkered injury history. And uh, it makes you wonder if maybe he was prescribed some sort of opioids, you know, at some point along the line. And, and maybe there was some sort of addiction to people didn't know about. But that's, again, purely speculation. I, I have no idea. And, and ultimately, I, I don't know that it matters. It's just a tragedy. Well, the reason I ask is because what can Major League Baseball do? I mean, he, he didn't fail any tests that we know of. And I read an article today, and I'm not sure I read it right, but I guess it is possible for a player to fail a, uh, a test for a drug of abuse and not necessarily be suspended by it and that the results of those tests don't need to be made public. So it is, it is relevant to me because, I mean, what can, what can Major League Baseball do to, to help? And, and, and those guys, you are correct. They they can be on an exempt list if uh, if there is some sort of. I think they have to almost have an, a medical excuse to be on that. That you know they can be on certain uh, opioids if they're recovering from an injury per se or or whatever it is. Uh, they can be exempted from it. So how do they control it? Um, I mean, let's let's be honest. This isn't something that's. Um, 
you know, only exclusive to Major League Baseball or to sports. Uh, this this is an epidemic that we're dealing with across the board in society right now. Where, you know, uh, I, personally, I know people that um, you know have been prescribed these these pain pills and and become addicted to opioids very quickly. Um, unfortunately, I've had some you know I've had multiple friends that have have been prescribed them and and you know for one was was actually uh you know an athlete and and had had sold uh shoulder surgery and uh was prescribed pain medications and had a couple drinks and never woke up um luckily the the majority of them have recovered and have have been able to overcome the situation but it's not something that's just systemic to just baseball. It's it's a societal issue right now, and and how do how do you combat it? Uh, that's a million dollar question. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody's trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, we I think we we all know people, whether they've played sports or not, that um, you know they they've struggled with that. That is an illness. Um, it's not. It, it's also, you know, not. Oh God, it's it's such a, a slippery slope when it comes to that. I I've, I've, I've a lot of friends also that have played sports, have been prescribed certain medications that have technically failed medication. You know, you failed drug test because well, this is what my doctor told me I needed to take in order to heal, in order to get to get back to normal, to get back to playing and whatnot. So, um, like like again, I feel like I've been saying, like you said, and I agree with you, Matt. I've been basically on par with you on about ninety eight percent of it. The only thing I just to make you know to change the subject quickly, I I know you love Brian Johnson deep down inside. Just to put a smile on your face, um, but uh, it's um, it, it's tough. It's really hard. I agree with everything that Matt said about it because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to turn the clock back. We're not going to be able to bring Tyler back. Um, it's it's really it's really tough. It's really hard. And the problem is once you've healed from it that feeling that you may have received once you were at that point, uh, you may not be able to get it again because you're supposed to be now moved on from it, but you miss that feeling. And then the problem is once you've had X amount, you need X plus a little more to get that same buzz feeling. If they're, if that's something that they still like might miss because there is some aspect if you've ever had to have, I don't know if either one of you have ever had surgery and whatnot, but if you've ever had to have hydrocodone or anything like that, you do get a little bit loopy and whatnot. But it, it makes you feel a little good because then you can't feel the pain anymore. And then once that pain comes back, you want to have that. If if you hit, you know, if you're supposed to take X amount of milligrams and you're struggling, you need to take that. And if you need more, then you take more. And that's unfortunately, I think what happened here was he just, it was just a dangerous combination, took too much, done. You know, I mean, we're, we will never bring him back. I mean, I can't disagree with that, but you can keep everybody else here and prevent future deaths. So it is important to me to fully understand what happened here. And the wife apparently clueless as to him being on drugs. If it was a legitimate injury where he was taking stuff normally at the therapeutic level, you would think his wife would be aware of this and you would think his teammates would be aware of this and nobody seemed to have any idea any of this was going on 
So I just feel like he probably did pass away under shady circumstances. And here's one other interesting tidbit here. Um, I can't remember if it was this morning or uh, late yesterday afternoon. Major League Baseball announced that they were opening their own investigation into the death of Tyler Skaggs. Now, what's interesting here is why wasn't this investigation opened on July 1st? Okay. Yeah. The way I read it is the wife let the cat out of the bag. One of their big market organizations, not a very successful one as of late, but still a a big market organization with a big fan base and a big payroll suddenly is in some hot water and major league investigations aren't always ethical. I mean, I don't know how familiar with the Alex Rodriguez biogenesis scandal you guys are, but they basically paid gangsters 125 grand for for records of of uh, you know steroid receipts and and text messages back and forth from their clinic to Alex Rodriguez and all sorts of other records and and MLB dealt with mobsters. We just found out last week that the top investigator in the David Ortiz shooting investigation is on MLB's payroll. Why Why didn't we learn that back then? Go back to the playoffs last year, and this is a lot more minor into the grand scheme of things, but the Astros were recording other teams' dugouts and said that they were only recording these dugouts because... They wanted to make sure that those teams weren't cheating. So they were recording their dugouts, not to steal signs, just to make sure they weren't cheating and MLB backed them. So I don't think Major League Baseball has a ton of credibility with their investigations or their ethics at times. And they only launched their investigation hours after the statement of Tyler Skaggs' wife. So I don't I don't know if that raised any red flags for you guys. Certainly did with me. Uh, let, let's be honest. Major League Baseball is going to take care of Major League Baseball. Uh, it, that's just how it is. The if you think they're going to throw themselves under the bus uh, if they don't have to and lose a bunch of money out of it, then you're crazy. Um, here's the thing to me: the fentanyl is is the red flag for me, like how we came about getting that. I mean, this is something that's 80 to a hundred times more powerful than, uh, morphine. Uh, that's something you're given if, if you're in extreme, extreme pain. Um, but it's, it's very rare instances that you're getting your hands on that. You know, the, the oxy that he had, you know, maybe that's a little bit more, you know, more prevalent, but it's, um, you know, it's it's that, that fentanyl is is the real big red flag. Where did he get that from? Why did he have that? There's there's very few instances that would really justify him getting something that powerful. Um, and then the likelihood, if if you're mixing that, if you have it to begin with, the likelihood of overdose is very high. Uh, but to mix it with alcohol, I mean, 
the, the likelihood of death increases exponentially. So, you know, that, that to your point, I, I think we had talked about, well, hey, was this a prolonged thing or a first-time thing? The, the mixture of fentanyl with, with alcohol uh, makes me think that maybe it was short-term, but, uh, you know, could and again, purely speculation, and I'm, I don't know. Uh, regardless, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But the um, uh, you know maybe there was some usage of of the opioids for a while, and then we had to continue to progress into the fentanyl uh, to get to that fix. But um, it's just crazy, and unfortunately, anybody can get it these days if they say they have a pain for anything. You know, doctors are almost obligated to to prescribe it, whether you're an athlete or you're just a schlub, you know, on the street. Uh, you, you can get it, and and that's really what the issue is. Um, so, uh, really cracking down on who can get opioids is is going to be the key, whether you're a major league baseball player or not. I mean, it's, it's definitely an epidemic that everybody needs to look into. And this is just an unfortunate reminder of, of how crazy it can get. Well, fentanyl on the street is cheaper than, than heroin. So that's why you're, you're seeing more and more of fentanyl now. And it is 80 to a hundred times more powerful. I had a close high school friend, uh, overdose on that. And, a lot of times the death is instantaneous. When when he was found by his mother, he was slumped forward on the floor with the, the needle still in his arm. So um, it, it can happen quick. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know why a doctor would prescribe fentanyl. I, I you know, because it is so potent, I, I would, I, and I'm only speculating, I would think that that would only be given in in a controlled environment, you know, like a hospital or whatever, and administered by an actual medical professional. And so I, that that's what kind of makes this really shady to me. And it's possible. I mean, the the cops definitely said that there was no evidence of drug use at the scene. So they, they, either there was and they lied or there really wasn't. And maybe they thought he got wasted. And, you know, if you drink, especially if it's hard liquor, you know, and you're not that used to it, you know, you could conceivably still choke on your own vomit. You know, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're above 0.30 or 0.40, I actually had an uncle, believe it or not, uh, die of, uh, alcohol poisoning, acute ethanol toxicity, as his uh, death certificate read. And he was 0.51, but he was a hardcore drunk that probably walked around normal at 0.30 because his body had just built up to it over several years and and you develop a tolerance. I would be completely wasted (laughs) before I got to that point. But, um, But, you know, he ultimately you know it just built up and built up and built up and got to an extremely toxic level and it killed him so i don't know if that's what um was suspected by the south lake texas police department but but if there really was no you know evidence of it if there was no i don't know if it would have been needles if it would have been um 
you know, prescription bottles. There was there was nothing in that hotel room per the police unless they lied. So he could have taken it elsewhere. You know, he could have been at a bar minutes or an hour earlier and, and taken the, the fatal dose there. I, I don't know. But I think police will get to the bottom of it. I, I don't think we've heard the end of this story. I think there's at least one more bombshell to come out. I don't know if Major League Baseball is ultimately going to be able to control it. You know, so um, I and what I mean by that is I don't know if they're going to be able to influence an actual police investigation, especially with the wife being so hell bent, <laughs> like. She's basically a, an anti-drug activist at this point and, and you know, hell-bent on figuring out the who, the where, the why, and all of those. So, any final thoughts before we uh, hit the Twin Series and then wrap? I'm good. Yeah, again, I don't have too much more to add other than this is just completely tragic. Uh, you hate to see somebody, you know, anybody go before their time, but uh, somebody this young, this talented, uh, who seems this beloved by his teammates, it's it's just a tragic thing. And, um, you know, if any positive comes from this, maybe it's more awareness to the, the issue of... Uh, you know, the dangers of opioids and, and how they uh, affect society. So, you know, hopefully some positive comes from this. It's a very tragic thing. My heart goes out to his family, his friends, and, uh, you know, I, I hope there is some sort of resolution, you know, however minor it may be. And, you know, even though it won't bring him back, hopefully it, it, it brings some sort of peace of mind to them. Well, all right, uh, getting on to the Red Sox Twin Series. I'm showing all TBDs for uh, Minnesota. Do you guys have any pitchers for them or no? Yeah, so I look to see who's scheduled based on uh, based on the schedule, uh, how it's played out. So Martin Perez and uh, Michael Pineda pitch Saturday and Sunday. So that would leave it to be Odorizzi pitching game one, uh, Barrios game two, and Gibson game three. So game one is Porcello versus Odorizzi. Porcello coming in at 12 and 10 with a 5.42 ERA versus Odorizzi with a 14 and 6 record and a 3.55 ERA. So who do you guys have in that one? Uh, you said that was Perez. No, no, it's uh, Porcello versus Odorizzi. Oh, Odorizzi. Well, um, Odorizzi has had uh, a much better uh, season as of, uh, you know, it, this has essentially been the best season of his career so far. I don't have his recent numbers up, but they have an explosive lineup, and I, I think we're going to have to – also be explosive we can't have those five or six players i named earlier going 0 for 36 like i mentioned um porcello has pitched you know well as of late his best start of the season happened to be against the twins uh late last spring so i think the red sox 
I guess I give the Red Sox the edge, you know, for game one. Uh, man, I, I've been adamant about this like all year. I, I'm, I'm not buying any shares of Rick Porcello at all. Uh, I'd literally take probably paper bags chance of winning a ball game over Rick Porcello. I think Odorizzi's got this one. Um, I just, I don't have any confidence at all in Porcello at all, at all. Well, Matt's a big Rick Porcello guy. So, uh, what's, oh, there we go, Matt. How, how does Matt have it? <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, I, I, I think he'll uh, probably pitch his five innings, uh, give up four runs, but Odorizzi is, is pitched pretty well. He's been the really the ace of their staff uh, this year, and uh, I think the Twins win this one. So I've got the Twins winning game one. Yep. Yeah, and I do have his numbers up in front of me, and uh, six uh, quality starts in a row, and he had a couple – he got lit up uh, seven starts ago against the Yankees. He got tagged for nine runs in four innings and um, pitched pretty well uh, against Oakland and Cleveland before that Yankee start. So on a tear, he uh, you know he's got a three fifty five ERA for the year. His K through nine isn't through the roof. It's you know nine fifty three, which is probably a little above average, but. Um, but this game could go either way. I mean, if one team gets into a hole real fast, it's going to be tough to to dig out of that. So, but I'll uh, I'll give the edge slightly to the Red Sox. What's uh, game two, Matt? So game two is going to be uh, Erod at uh, sixteen and five with a three ninety seven ERA versus Barrios. Uh, who is eleven and seven with a three fifty seven ERA? That's tough. Uh, Jose Barrios is really, really good. Um, hard, hard to bet against him. But I've been, I've been all, all about Erod this year. Funny enough, I, I early this year uh, there was one show where we had the we were talking about the difference or who'd you rather, Erod or Rick Porcello from the mountain. I said. Erod every day. I just I don't think that uh, I don't think that I, I have any confidence whatsoever in Porcello. Jose Barrios. I remember there was a video of him and he got um, some really nice cred based on uh, one crazy curveball that he threw. But I mean, he's been really really good for the last couple of years. Throws a lot of innings. Um, last year he had over two hundred strikeouts. I don't remember what his his exact number was. I don't know if he'll get that this year, but I mean, he's a quality guy. I'm thinking that it's going to go um, Erod's way this one, but barely by a run, maybe. Uh, well, the bad news here is uh, last uh, June when we faced them, Barrios went eight innings, uh, only gave up five hits, one earned run, struck out 10. So. Um, you know, if we go into tomorrow and we're cold and we don't really produce, I, I doubt they're going to figure it out against Barrios. Um, Barrios has been okay as of late. Two starts ago, he did get tagged for five runs against Detroit, but that's a division game, a team that probably sees him fairly often. And then 
he did uncharacteristically give up uh, nine earned runs to Atlanta, who does have an explosive lineup, but you figure, you know, it, it shouldn't have been nine runs. You know, that's a, obviously a bad start. But other than those two blips, has been pretty solid. I mean, Erod's going to have to equal a couple of his best performances to, uh, you know, give the Red Sox a chance here. I kind of lean towards Minnesota in that start. Fair enough. I'm going to go actually uh, with Boston this one. I think Boston wins one. I think this, they win this one maybe 4-3. It's going to be a pretty good pitching matchup from both sides. Uh, the starting pitchers will do well. I uh, just think that Boston's offense is a little bit better than than the Twins. I think that one through four, maybe a one through five of Boston kind of carries them in this one. And uh, they win like 4-3. Uh, that's, that's my prediction on this one. All right. Um, bad news, though, uh, well, for the Twins, uh, Gibson's actually on the DL, so he won't be starting uh, the third game. Oh, Kyle Gibson is out. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. he went on the DL with ulcerative colitis. Not good. I mean, that's not an arm injury by any means, but it's a, a stomach ailment. And, uh, yeah, so, and we got a Voldy that start. So, I mean... He did kind of show us something, you know, in in his last start. He wasn't very efficient against the Angels, but he did go four scoreless innings through 81 pitches. Um, I'm comfortable with Erod going at least six innings the game before, seven if we're really lucky. So there's a chance that uh, the bullpen won't be too taxed uh, to come in after Avoldi. So I, you know, there's that, I guess. And one of Evaldi's more dominant starts last year, I think it was his first start in a Red Sox uniform, came against the Twins, and he pitched seven or eight innings. It was either scoreless or one-run ball. And then he did the same thing to the Yankees in his next start. Uh, So he does have a, a little bit of a track record of success against this team so i don't know which way to go i guess if it's just going to be a spot starter or a bullpen game for the twins i gotta lean red Sox. it's actually uh they named it's it's going to be martin perez according to espn it's going to be perez versus uh avaldi Perez is 9-6 with 489 ERA versus Valdi, who is undefeated at 1-0 uh, with a 623 uh, ERA. Uh, both of them have whips that are over 1.5 one, one uh, with Perez at 1.5 uh, even and Valdi at 1.57. Uh, this one's going to come down to the bullpen. Uh, honestly, it, it's a toss-up. I'm going to go with the Red Sox on this one. I just feel like the bullpen pulls it out. Um, I think the offense. So I'm going to go two and two and one. Uh, so the Red Sox win two and th- uh, two out of three with this. And uh, I don't know, kind of make this wild card interesting. I don't. I still don't think they win it, but um, you know, I think they're going to make it interesting enough. Uh, Perez, I haven't seen literally anything of him this year. He did play last season for Texas and was not very good. 
Got tagged for seven runs in his last start against Detroit, which again, that's a divisional game, and you know they've probably seen him a few times. He uh, got torched much like Barrios in the Atlanta series, got tagged for seven runs. Uh, you know, he put up a couple of five spots around that time. One was a divisional game against Kansas City. The other uh, was to the Yankees. So, I mean, I think the Red Sox offense, they should be good enough to, you know, to knock them around a little bit. And Detroit does not have a very good bullpen. So, um, I guess I still lean Red Sox. It's gonna be, um, it's gonna be again a, a real toss up. I, I just don't have that much faith in the Red Sox bullpen. My heart wants to say Boston will pull out Game Three. Unfortunately, I just feel like it's gonna. Oh God, I'm gonna hate myself for saying this, but I feel like Minnesota is gonna end up winning this one. I just don't know if I have that faith in uh, Evaldi and the rest of the squad to get it to get it done. I just don't know if I can say that I have enough faith in them right now. Uh, I think they'll win one out of three. See, I think, you know, Evaldi pitched markedly better um, in this last, uh, this last game. I think he's going to improve as the season goes on. I just can't be much worse than he was. Um, you know, here's the thing with Perez. Perez started off the year really well. I think to the all-star break, he may have been sub three ERA and now he's he's sitting at around five ERA so that tells you how much he's imploded since uh, here in the second half and honestly uh, you, you look at um, you know he's given up five earned runs uh, last Friday to Kansas City seven to Atlanta uh, he had a couple decent games he had a good one against Milwaukee uh, and then he had one against Texas and Detroit where he only gave up two earned runs but he gave up seven to Detroit so He's been getting smacked around pretty good uh, lately, uh, especially in the second half. I, I think the Boston offense exploits this. As long as the bullpen doesn't blow a save, uh, I, I still think they win two out of three. I'm comfortable with that, you know. I, but I've been wrong a lot as of late, so. Um, <laughs> yep, that's maybe, why I'm going one out of three. Maybe you guys should be uh, uncomfortable with the fact that I'm comfortable with that. Um, but yeah, I, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big game and uh, big series. Rather, we got the Yankees after, so it, it's a big week. That that's actually a four game set, by the way. So, um, I mean, if we can't have a strong week against playoff teams this week, then we've got no business showing up for those uh, in October. So um, you got to you gotta win at least two out of three and probably three out of four against New York <laughs> to, to stay in it. I mean, we haven't been below five games back in forever, you know, since before that nine-game winning uh, losing streak, uh, you know, middle of the summer, so uh, that's that's where I'm at. So I think the first time I've been the outlier. I'm usually uh, agreeing with someone as far as uh, the future series. I think this is the first time I've stood alone saying we're going to go one and two. Okay. All right. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap? 
Yeah, I just uh, want to give a quick shout out to our uh, to both uh, Liz and and Jeremy down in in Florida. Hopefully, everything stays safe with that uh, the hurricane coming and. You know, hopefully uh, the show continues. Uh, all of us are, are are good to go on this uh, hurricane coming through. Hopefully it uh, misses all of us and everybody stay safe through that. Yeah, Agreed. I think I looked at the track this morning and, you know, hurricanes are unpredictable. So, but it looks like Liz is in the Tampa area and it looks like the, uh, you know, the actual coast on the Gulf side probably will uh, not get hit too hard so fortunately for her but jeremy is right in hurricane alley so hopefully uh hopefully you know everyone is safe in that area and property damage is uh you know at a minimum as well so all right guys good good show and uh we'll be back middle of the week and uh should be a an interesting week of baseball you know we're playing good teams so um not many of these games left one way or the other so have a good night all right you too take care guys take care episode 165 in the books i have tomorrow well i have monday morning off by the time a lot of you get to this it's going to be this morning but um so I'll be sleeping in, but uh, for those of you that have to work, you know, have a good start to your work week. And for everyone else uh, that doesn't, uh, have a good start to your work week on Tuesday. And then we'll be back on Thursday night to uh, talk about the Twin Series as well as uh, any other developments. So uh, take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Benintendi coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch, he did it, he got it. Here we go, time to party, right here, 3-2. High in the air, he crushed it, it's a grand slam. Swing and a miss, Frank Lee, it's over, the Red Sox have won the world. Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman.